0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd, and this is Watch with Jen. Today I am welcoming back the acclaimed novelist of such books as Grave's End, The Lonely Witness, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, City of Margins and the upcoming Shoot the Moonlight Out, my friend and an official friend of the show, William Boyle, a knowledgeable film buff, And a bard of Italian-American New York life, especially in the era he came of age in the 1990s, which I love since we're roughly the same age. In the past, Bill appeared to discuss the career of David Morse, along with critic Mel Minow, and stopped by twice last year to chat, including once about actor Mickey Rourke. Bill, it is so good to have you back, and I'm greatly looking forward to our discussion today. How are you doing, and how's summer treating you?
1: Oh, thanks. It's it's great to be back, Jen. Thanks for having me again. I, I I love listening to the show, and I'm honored to be on. Um. Uh. Yeah, things are okay. You know, things are. Uh, I live in in the South now, as you know. I think mm-hmm. we talked about. So, um, things are not good here right now. Again, with uh. Pandemic, so that stinks. Um, it was kind of a brief window of things seeming like they were okay. I went home to New York for a month and I've come back here and things are kind of uh, the, the worst they've been in some way. So that's been oh. tough. But other than that... Other than that, you know, it's, uh, everything's okay. Family's good.
0: That's good. Well, I hope the vaccination status and things turn around there in Mississippi, but that is really tough. I love yeah. seeing all the photos though, of your New York trip, um, that you were taking with your Thanks. gorgeous family. So it was really cool to see those. Did you have a nice Thanks.
1: trip? Yeah, I did. It was good to be back. I've never, never gone so long. You know, I've lived, I've lived away i um, from New York for over a decade now, but I've never gone so long without being home. Um, yeah, I'm usually back several times a year, um, you know, every few months at mm-hmm. the most. So going 15 months or whatever it was, was uh, very, very hard and also really strange because I still, even though I've lived in Mississippi for um, so long now, I, I still consider myself and feel like a new yorker and you know my my family my wife's family everybody's there so yeah um, it was hard, hard to be away and good to get back and hard to leave and, you
0: know. yeah that is tough well i know we're planning to have you back again to coincide with your book's release in november so i'm sure we will be getting into it more then but for everyone listening right now what can you tell us about shoot the moonlight out starting of course with that memorable title
1: um, so that title comes from a Garland Jeffries song, um, called Shoot the Moonlight Out, uh, which I love, I love, I love him. And, um, I, I just had that title kind of in the back of my mind for a while. Um, I think I can't even remember. It was just one of those things where I was listening to, to his, this you know couple of different records of his a lot, um while I was working on city of margins and, and shoot the moonlight out was just one that I said, you know, it's a, a song on, on one of those records that I, I thought I heard that, you know, I, I listened to him for a long time, but I kind of heard it that time. And I thought, and that would be a really good title for a, a novel and, um, started kind of making, making plans to, to utilize it. Um, so I think for me, it started, started with that. And, uh, it's, it's a book that's, uh, um, starts off in 1996, um, in my neighborhood in Southern Brooklyn. And then the bulk of it takes place in early summer of 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, another sprawling neighborhood crime drama. Um, you know, just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of characters linked together through their, through their pasts, um, who kind of all collide characters in different stages of crisis mode. Um, and yeah, there's a bunch, a bunch of, bunch of characters kind of crossing paths in, uh, in Brooklyn and this, you know, this summer that I think of as kind of, um, you know, I obviously don't ever mention, uh, 9-11, but, um, uh, mm-hmm. because that that's after, but I always think about that summer as this kind of, you know, it was such a, uh, a important summer for me in a lot of ways i was you know 22 i guess um Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's it's kind of this end period for me of you know really kind of the if you if you called the i guess the 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 90s the long 90s or something you know that that summer of 2001 yeah. was kind of the end of, of that bet, yeah. um, I, for for obvious reasons. I mean, everything changed post, post 9-11. Yeah. Um, and also just for me, the age I was, it was kind of this cutoff, cutoff point. So none of that really matters. I mean, I don't talk about that stuff in the book, but for me, when I was, you know, thinking about when to set this novel, I knew I wanted to set it in that summer. I never say anything about that being mm-hmm. the end of, end of, uh, of this certain era but um have that kind of inform what I was doing so
0: I love that yeah uh, your books to me always kind of remind me of like both Sydney Lumet and Altman almost if you marry the two because you have this uh, like character ensemble thing happening where people are going to cross paths you don't know how they know each other and so that's always a surprise but then there's also the grittiness that you would get with a Lumet so a lot of beauty oh. a lot of um you know, urban, uh, New York, the personalities of the neighborhood. And I just love that. So I'm very looking forward to that.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, and those, those guys are obviously huge, huge in my, in my world. And, uh, and, and Alan Rudolph too. Oh yes. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, obviously kind of takes a lot of what Altman's doing and does something a little different with it. But, um, those are, those are all filmmakers that I think about a ton, um, Maybe, maybe the most kind of when I'm, when I'm working, especially on these last few books that have, have more sprawling casts and yeah. um, they're really, really kind of written under the sway of those, those guys.
0: Very cool. Cool. Well, since you are so well-known for your chronicles of New York City life, especially for the Italians, I was so thrilled when you emailed me with a clever concept for today's episode, tackling underrated or overlooked or largely forgotten Italian-American films. You sent me a very long, very awesome (laughs) list of around, I think, like a dozen or so titles. And part of me wanted to do all of them. Oh, no, I was excited (laughs) because I'm part Italian as well and similarly obsessed. But if we would have done that, this would have evolved into its own like Blake Howard level miniseries (laughs) podcast, you know, like The Adventures of the Italian Americans by Jen and Bill, essentially. (laughs) And I mean, who knows? We might do that eventually. We're just spitballing. No, but just kidding. Uh, I do like the range of the five films we chose today, including Fatso from 1980, 1992's Mac Household Saints, which was made a year later, Angie from 1994, and then lastly, 2000's Two Family House. We'll go into the movies in just a minute, and for those listening who might not have seen these, I do want to let you know that there will be some spoilers, so do proceed with caution. But before we tackle the movies, what is it about the topic as a whole and the kind of filmmaking here that most interests you?
1: Well, let me let me just say, I do think a side podcast on this topic yeah. is a good, a good idea. All <laughs>
0: right, we are down. That is, uh, <laughs> I think
1: we could do that, a little we mini could. series, because yeah. we could keep going with this. <laughs> um, I did, you know, so um, I grew up uh, Italian, you in know, an Italian-American family. People don't usually know that about me right off the bat because they assume I'm Irish um, because of my yeah. last name. Um, I'm not Irish at all, actually. Uh, My dad was Scottish, off-the-boat Scottish, uh, but I grew up only with um, the Italian side of my family, my mom's family, and then she remarried. Uh, My dad wasn't much in my life for a while, and then not at all um, from a pretty young age. Um, So she remarried and uh, married uh, an Italian guy, too. So pretty much my whole experience growing up was in this kind of you know these these tight knit Italian American families in southern brooklyn and uh and then you know in the 90s a lot of um a lot of people started moving to jersey and long island so there was some i was still rooted in brooklyn but um a lot of our kind of family members and stuff had, had scattered around a lot so mm-hmm. um these are these are the people i you know i, I write about um and in particular uh I, i'm you know, as a writer, I'm interested in, um, the time that I grew up, the eighties and nineties, um, and, you know, the, the way it was then, and kind of the, the kind of, I guess, period of decline, um, that, like I said, people were leaving kind of, uh, neighborhood was, was crumbling, um, you know, all that was changing. So that's the stuff I'm interested in as a writer and, and as a film, as a, as a, sorry, as a, film watcher yeah. um, or as a reader I mean it you know obviously I you know my that's just where my my interests naturally go I think you know it's it's what I'm writing about it's how I grew up and and anytime I can see representations of that that are mm-hmm. interesting or that you know that that take me in a, a little bit of a different direction I'm always on board with that and you know I'm I'm I love the stuff that we're not going to talk about too. the stuff that's not overlooked. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, you know, my, my number one guy, you know, I love him, but I don't think we could realistically put any film of his on a
0: overlooked
1: or overlooked on maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe there are some films of his, but not the, not the Italian American kind of ones, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so that's why he's he's not going to be someone we probably talk about right now. But th- that's the stuff that I'm drawn to and and in literature, too. I mean, you know, um, a couple of the suggestions I sent you that we we're not going to cover today are adaptations of John um, Fonte novels, um, Full of Life and uh, Wait Until Spring Bandini. I think I mentioned both of those. And like those those are books that I, those are books that changed my life. And I love especially Wait Until Spring Bandini. The movie's not that great. So okay. probably
0: I should read the probably, book.
1: <laughs> The books, yeah, the books great. I mean, he's one of my favorites. Um and and um uh I also one of the other movies that we're not gonna talk about was uh, Give Us This Day, which is an adaptation of uh, Pietro Di Donato's Christ in Concrete, which is a great book too. So I think, you know, I mean those are those are the things that um really draw me in as a, I mean, not the only thing, but I'm, but I'm certainly, you know, really my, you know, when, when I see those things or, or, um, read those things and, and they hit me, uh, the right way, there's almost nothing I respond to more, more fully. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's 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 where this started, where this idea yeah. came started and I want no, to talk
0: about this stuff. And I love that. Like you, obviously, I am far more of a mutt in my family by my um, generation. I'm very tiny bit Italian, but it's my favorite part. It's on my mom's side <laughs> of the family. Uh, they came from Calabria, which is where right, you guys yeah. came from. Yes. and But what was so funny about um, my mom's side of the family was he came from Calabria and had a bunch of daughters and they got so tired of like the dad and all of his Italian American uh, neighborhood friends and just the whole vibe that they exuded. They were with the Italian American men's club and um, you know, from some of them were from back East. I grew up in Minneapolis area that they just vowed never to marry Italians. And so they, they didn't do it. None of them did. But what's hilarious is just so much of the culture and stuff soaked into their lives, their cooking and the way they interacted and their families. So I used to love spending time with my grandma and all of her sisters. And so I just soaked all of that up. And so, yeah, by this point, very tiny bit Italian. But my favorite part, because it reminds me of all these great women who are unfortunately sick of the Italian men in their lives, but you know, we're just, uh, bringing it to a new, a new generation. So I thought that was great. So I was very excited to do this.
1: Yeah, that, that is great. And I'm also, you know, I'm so, I'm also always really fascinated by stories like that of kind of the, you know, these other pockets of Italian life in the United or Italian American ah. life in the United States. I have a neighbor here actually, who's, whose, um, roots are at least on his mom's side, I think, um, Italian American in like uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and you know, yeah. and John Fonte, <laughs> John John Fonte writes about Colorado and Los Angeles, and you know, I was always really interested in that because I, you know, obviously, I um, I'm realizing I say obviously a lot. I'm sorry, it's one of my tips. I say I, guess. I
0: know a lot and interesting <laughs> a lot. I've been noticing that now. I'm going to say yeah. that all the time. I papers. know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, I, I chose five movies that are all New York movies, not just Italian American oh, movies. But yeah. um that again is I think personally just I part of the reason I respond to these films so much is because not only of their representations of Italian American life, but their mm-hmm. New York movies. Um and you know that's something that's always um drawn me in when it's done well or done in an interesting way. So um, but I, I am really interested in in stories of you know these italian-american yeah.
0: communities
1: and and places that you you know don't you, everybody time. think
0: yeah, everybody <laughs> think
1: everybody thinks of new york um, yep. when they think of that but nobody thinks of
0: minneapolis. Um, yeah
1: <laughs> minneapolis or west virginia or nebraska no. or these places that i know it, it exists you know they existed and um, that's really really fascinating to me
0: yeah he actually came over. He was um it was like an arranged marriage or supposed to be the like a farmer's daughter in uh Minnesota they were i think they were part Italian or Italian immigrants. yeah so he came through New York. I don't know what happened there if he didn't like the look of her, but like didn't marry her <laughs> and then um oh, I've heard stories about this guy like he was very excited to go back over <laughs> and fight the Turks, but not for the Americans for Italy and just all these right. stories about um you know, the, the exploits of this guy. So very larger than life, but yeah. So he brought um, himself over to marry this girl is like, no. And that was the start of our family, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's cool.
0: know, Very funny, but I am very excited to talk about the New York um, movies because you're an expert on this area and are the best guide for it. Well, since I usually work through the films chronologically, because sometimes you can see how the works influence each other or not, we're starting with writer-director and Bancroft's one and only feature as a filmmaker, Fatso, from 1980, which despite being the oldest film on the list, is the newest one to both you and I. Starring the great Dom DeLouise in a tender, humorous, huggable, and heartbreaking performance, The film centers on his overweight character, Dominic uh, DiNapoli, one of three siblings, including Anne Bancroft's Antoinette and Ron Carey's Frank Jr., who work at the family's card and gift shop in New York. Having grown up with the habit of being fed and comforted by his mother whenever he was unhappy with food, which is a centerpiece of the Italian experience, Dominic gets a rude wake-up call when his beloved obese cousin Sal drops dead at the age of 39, pushed into going on a diet and joining the chubby checkers support group. At the same time, he struggles with his weight and his self-esteem. He meets the beautiful Lydia, played by Candace Azara, who owns the neighborhood antique shop, at times totally all over the place, which can Give a viewer whiplash. Still, you can never deny that Bancroft's film, which earned scathing reviews from critics, including Siskel and Ebert, who were confused by its swings from romance to truly darker territory, it still has its heart in the right place. And while I didn't love Love It, I did love its performances. And the character-driven feel and Dom DeLouise in particular, was mesmerizing. So Bill, talk to me about Fatso.
1: Um, so yeah, this, like you said, this was a a recent first watch for me. Um, I'd heard of it, of course, and I knew its reputation. I think it, it comes up a lot, um, as kind of a widely panned movie or a movie that people didn't like. And my friend Jack, um, Pendarvis, who's a, a great writer and, um, also writes for, uh, he's got some novels and story collections and, uh, writes for adventure time and, um, a couple other shows. He, uh, he and I are just very much on the same page in terms of what we like. And he, he told me I needed to watch it. It just came on TCM, I guess, maybe just like last month or two months ago. Oh, not, really? not, not that it's, it's not been that you know long since I've watched it for the first time. And, um, and so I watched it, and, and I, I did. I'm going to be very, very effusive in my praise of this movie. I, I loved it. I mean, I was oh. blown away by it. Um, and I watched it. I watched it once, and then I watched it again with my, my wife, uh, Katie, who also loved it. And I just watched it again yesterday. So I've watched it three times in the last couple of months. And um, I think it's just a really, really beautiful, funny Strange movie. I think his performance and Candice's so performances are amazing. Um, I think it gets so much right about Italian American life. Um, you know, it's also like you know, d- despite um, the fact that you know he, the the setup of the movie is basically that he, like you said, wants to try to lose weight because his cousin just died. Um, it's a movie It's a great food movie and it's not, you know, it's not about uh, it is about kind of self-acceptance and it's about realizing that that most of that's bullshit and that he could, you know, do what makes him happy. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is this really wonderful food movie. It's got some really hilarious screwball kind of moments in it. Um, (laughs) Some of the hardest I've laughed at anything in, in the last few months are couple of scenes in this movie um Anne bancroft her real name is uh anna yes. maria Luisa italiano uh, which sounds yeah. almost made up but it's um it's you know she she knows uh she knows that world really well and she just nails it i think and it's just you know this there's so much screaming and crying in this movie and you that know, is
0: that so is, right yeah
1: so right i mean i think there's got to be more crying in this movie than any movie ever made just every almost every scene Tom Deloise breaks down in tears
0: sad it's it's very much yes
1: (laughs) and it's it's amazing i mean i think it's amazing i i think it's you know i think it's like you said um it's got this great heart i think Mm -hmm. um you know even if somebody even if i'm building it up too much and you know people aren't blown away by it in the way that, that I was, um, I think it's undeniable that it's a movie that's full of heart and sincerity, um, and, uh, and humor. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, those are the things that, that people lean on in this movie, I think is, you know, dealing with, um, just kind of, realities of ordinary life and and utilizing humor and and emotion in a way that that struck me as just really wonderful um so yeah i i i love it so much i wound up buying the the blu-ray which i think just um just recently shout factory did it put it out on blu-ray um
0: yeah, you can Maybe hardly find this movie. It's like not streaming anywhere. So yeah, yeah. so I mean,
1: I, I like I said, I caught it on TCM. So it was on the Watch TCM app for a month or, or okay. a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's not streaming anywhere. But it is available on on Blu-ray from Shout Factory, and it's good. It's got a couple of couple of good extras on it, and um, and it's you know it's heartbreaking to me because I I do think like I said I think it's a, a really brilliant movie in so many ways and and the reception it got um
0: yeah broke Anne
1: Bancroft's heart and i think you know she never directed Made another one or wrote another movie
0: i know uh, which is a shame it really is when i was looking up the film luckily for me i didn't even know about the blu-ray i actually found it my friend gave me access to their like plex server and for yeah. whatever weird reason he had this movie and i was i was so excited otherwise was gonna have to like message you like, oh, no, Bill, I can't find it. <laughs> but um, I was very excited to see it. But when I was looking it up, I was seeing all of these just extraordinary photos of Anne Bancroft, who is a stunning woman, and she's beautiful in the film. But on the set and on the streets of New York, a lot of them were black and white, you know, and her big sunglasses and just looking so glamorous um, as a filmmaker. And then she would you know, that was like her off-screen persona, and then she'd be able to just step right into her role as Antoinette. I thought she was so good, and it did break my heart, because, you know, you do think, yeah, she never wanted to probably go through this again, where she put everything that she was and her family life on the page, and, yep, yeah, was just, you know, smacked down by the critics, which, I mean, they don't have to love the movie, but reading some of the reviews and some of the um just the feedback that the film got like um very angry about uh the treatment of the overweight character and not um you know an eating disorder people got into and of course that's all like very valuable um to have and authenticity is important but you know you do really feel bad for what that must have been like for her yeah
1: yeah, and I mean, some of those—I mean, I haven't read everything there is to no. read, I'm sure—but I mean, some of them that I read were just so way off the mark. I, the Ebert review is really bad. It's a bad—you know—I I like him a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, but it's a really bad review. Um, and I—I I don't mean a—it a, is a negative review, but it's also a bad review that ends with him be, basically being like, "Dom Delois, Dom is not—sorry, uh, Dom Not DeLuise, yeah. isn't isn't even that fat." Um, That's like his, his thing at the end of the review. Um, And yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I I think, I think the movie's ahead of its time and uh, you know, in a lot of ways and how it deals with all this body image stuff. And that's TCM ran it as part of uh, uh, the series was like body images and film or whatever. Um, And so they, they, you know um, they said some smart things about it uh, before and after the, the, the it was screened um but yeah i mean it's just really it's it was a it it should should have been a bigger deal i think than it was and i think maybe maybe it's a a movie that came out kind of at the wrong time um you know it's 19 1980 it's either it's either a little you know maybe maybe it would have fit more with the 70s, kind of the kind of you know the the prime 70s, like more of a
0: 70s picture yeah
1: yeah um or or in 90s it's just you know it's the beginning yep. of the 80s is this kind of Stranger, decades, decade like or stuff like yeah, this. For yeah exactly James yeah
0: Angles. heavy yeah.
1: yeah heavy is heavy would be a, i haven't watched heavy in a long time but Me i remember neither. liking it a lot and mm-hmm. um, that'd be an interesting double feature with this i think um
0: yeah. i know that's too bad about eBird. i'm wondering if and understandably and uh, that might have come from a personal place because i do remember when the dow steve came out he was attacking it for that same Reason, like, yeah. um, you know, Donald Lowe, you know, he isn't uh that <laughs> overweight, or is he wearing a fat pad? And so he might be a little bit more, um, it might hit him in a personal place, just like me watching a movie about like chronic pain or disability. I'll be like, that's not right, you know. Right. So, everybody, it's like what we bring to the movie, exactly. But what was hard yeah. was when I was reading some of the pieces and they were attacking uh Dom DeLouise's performance, and I'm like, this is an extraordinary performance, oh my goodness.
1: That's crazy to me because, yeah. I mean, and you know, th- I think that was a thing that um, the movie, you know, was never something I considered really watching for a long time because of him, because I never really.
0: Exactly. Uh, to I'm surprised.
1: <laughs> yeah. To me, growing up, you know, he was a he was a personality that you'd see on
0: yeah, talk
1: shows. And, and you know, I, I liked him, but he, I never thought of him as an actor. No. Really, I thought of him as like, a, you know, just a funny guy who would pop up in a Mel Brooks movie or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or be on some talk show or some game show or something. So I would, that was the thing that, I mean, I, I would say, you know, I, this is all very fresh for me because I've only just watched this movie a couple of months ago for the first time, but this might be one of my favorite performances ever. I mean, I think it's so tender oh,
0: and yeah. beautiful, it is beautiful and
1: um, just spot on. And just so, I mean, it's melancholy, sad, yeah he's yes. such a likable character um and yeah I you know, he just he, he also I mean on a personal level he reminds me of of some some people I've known just he's just this warm loving yeah character and you know in the scenes of him even i think the one of the early scenes in the movie where he um at the funeral at his cousin's funeral where he goes into the kitchen and he's just you know, it's the first time you really see him. I think in the movie as an adult, eating and kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's spooning some some sauce onto bread and then sprinkling some cheese on it and eating. And you can see him kind of getting lost, taking solace in the food. And it's just this really beautiful moment where there's so much pain um, yeah. in what he's doing. Like he's obviously coping with the loss of this person he loves so much. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible performance. I think.
0: It is the scene that killed me. And it actually reminded me of my great aunt Lorraine um, because she's somebody who cries when she's happy, when she's sad, you know, it's the whole thing. And but it's the scene near the end when he is um, getting the phone call from um, the woman he loves like she had yeah. disappeared, he didn't know what happened. And um, it's just one sided it's him on the phone and just, yeah. Yeah. And you're like watching yeah. him as this whole <laughs> world like unfolds, like what had happened to her and that, no, she wasn't walking out of his life. This is, you know, a family emergency happened and it's just so beautiful. And you just, you want to like break through the screen and hug him basically. It's yeah. Some stunning work. Yeah. So many, yeah.
1: so many, yeah. So many lines, like so many lines and uh, just moments where he delivers, Uh, you know, kind of, even just a line where he's repeating something she says
0: diabetes Oh, with the diabetes. Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Just, just perfect delivery. Um, Just such tenderness and sadness in his voice. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, I could, I could go on and on about moments that I love. I mean, him, him crying when he reads the greeting cards in the store to the, to the oh gosh ulnarly. that was one of
0: my favorite I used to work at a That's... Walmart store when I was a teen <laughs> and it it was hard sometimes you'd read them and it was like oh gosh yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the scene I mean one of the the scene that really kind of one of the scenes that really breaks my heart is when uh, after the the funniest scene in the movie is when the when the chubby checkers guys come over and they ha- they have this feast um mm-hmm. but the next the next day when anne bancroft brings um candice azara's character over and and don dellovese's character is in bed and just kind of feeling bad and, um and not expecting her and he just turn turns away when she comes in and just starts I crying know. it's just this yeah. really sad beautiful moment
0: yeah um oh
1: but yeah well, there and there's yeah. some like i said some really some really i think some really hilarious um, stuff in this movie too. Some really just good kind of gags and little mm-hmm. screwball set pieces almost the scene where he chases his brother with the knife. Oh my
0: goodness. That,
1: that, that scene was a is little hilarious. too dark
0: for me, but it was funny. It was kind of <laughs> like a, a Looney Tunes. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> the <a> knife. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, what we're saying to everyone is, you know, track it down, wait for it to be on TCM. Hopefully again soon. Maybe they'll put it on HBO Max or else, you know, um, go in on a Blu-ray with some people and share it. Yeah, basically check it out. Well, next up, we have another actor turned filmmaker, Mac, the directorial debut of one of my all-time favorite character actors, John Turturro from 1992, written by Turturro along with Brandon Cole. Whereas Fatso was contemporary, this is the first of a few films we'll be discussing today that was set in the past, Queens in the 1950s, to be exact. Winner of the prestigious Camera Door Award from the Cannes Film Festival, the film, which was inspired by Totoro's own hardworking carpenter father, chronicles the relationship of three brothers after the death of their patriarch. Deciding to step into his family's shoes, Mac, played by Totoro, makes the impulsive decision to start his own construction company along with his brothers Vico, Michael Battaluco and Bruno Carl Capitorio, who do not have their brother's hot-headed drive for perfectionism and overweening hubris, which nearly costs Mac his life as he tries to outdo his Polish ex-boss in an astronomical bidding war for land at a public auction, Another character-driven film anchored by its terrific performances, particularly Catherine Barowitz as a headstrong young woman who believes in Mac's dream and vision enough to not only marry him, but invest in him financially. It's one I have not seen in decades, this film, but I was very glad to revisit it. So what are your thoughts on Mac?
1: Yeah, so it was a similar thing for me. I I saw when it came out, I guess, and I was you know, I was whatever, 14, 15. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen it since then. And I rewatched it last year. Uh it was it was very briefly on Prime and it popped up on Prime. And I was excited because it's not, I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think it's gotten a release since VHS. Um so it's no. it's been
0: it's on stars right now. That's where I yeah, it's it. on
1: stars now. I, I rewatched it last night on stars too. Yeah. Um And but before before it popped up on Prime and now it's on Starz, I think it had been kind of impossible to see for a long time. Um, Never got I could be wrong, but I don't think it ever got a DVD release, even Um, certainly not a Blu-ray. And, you know, it was a movie I remembered liking um, as as a teenager. I mean, I was always drawn to character driven stuff. And, you know, I, I responded even then to the to the, you know, the fact that it was a New York movie, a movie about an Italian-American family. And it feels like, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it feels very close to some of uh, John Fonte's work to me. And uh, that it's, you know, it's about a guy who, uh, and John Fonte's dad was a bricklayer and he writes a lot about bricklayered father and, you know, his characters like that. So these these characters um, feel a lot like that to me um you know i I think it's a um i think he's such an interesting director and write writer and director you know i think he he's got a very kind of european sensibility um, uh, and um i think that could probably be challenging for for some viewers um he's not really you know he, he'll go into kind of almost that like that early scene in the movie where the um where the father talks to them from the casket like almost yeah. dream like sequences Magical and, realism
0: a little yeah yeah
1: and then um he you know it's it's uh, a, a just character driven piece with no real um I mean, there is a plot, but it's not a, you know, it's not certainly not plot driven. It's really just this no. kind of study of this moment, um, this moment post their father dying where they come together and then break apart. Um, but it's really, you know, it's very clearly really a, a, a personal film and probably the most personal of the movies he's, he's directed by a long shot. I mean, oh, some yeah. of his other stuff. Is, is I like it, but, it, you know, he'll get into kind of like almost sex farce territory and like oh, yeah. you know, romance and, cigla- and, cigarette.
0: romance and cigla- cigarettes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So this is really personal. And, and I think that that's all driven home in the ending. Um, over the credits, uh, his father, there's a, a voice message, a voicemail oh, message
0: from his crying. father.
1: Yeah, it's really, really nice. And this is this is clearly a movie, I think, about his his dad. And, um, you know, it's a fictionalization, I'm sure, but it's, you know, it's a very, very personal movie, a very, um, you know, it, it's a, a movie I think that's attempting to to dissect the psychology of of, uh, a kind of this kind of old school mentality. Um, but, you know, he's such a, he, he's a hard character uh, yes. Mac, and he's, but he's so, noble and interested in building stuff right mm-hmm. that's his that's his thing and and um you know he he's got a code and um yep. he, and these characters around him all this conflict comes from the fact that that they don't or that they don't want to adhere to that code or don't want to adhere to his code and and it's really beautiful difficult movie and it, and it ends in kind of a, a hard dark place i mean it doesn't try this is not a light um yeah. cheerful movie in yeah. any any way um although there are some really funny scenes but um yeah it's a, it's a movie that that's really the, the last couple of times i've watched it recently has really imp- had a big impact on me And i remembered liking it like i said as a kid but uh, I, I certainly didn't respond to it as I do now as a 42 year old, you know, it's a different, it's a different movie now. To me.
0: It really is. I think that happens all the time with the books you read. Um, like I remember uh, hearing about somebody read, it's like a professor reading Catcher in the Rye every couple of years, just to see how it changes. I love to do the same thing. Great Gatsby. It's uh, you identify with yeah. different characters at different times. You see things happen with new eyes but what was interesting when I was watching it this time, especially knowing, I guess I didn't know much about it when I saw it as a teenager, obviously, but knowing more about it and that it's about his father. When I was thinking of his career at the time and the characters he played, like Herb Stemple and some of the um, sort of helpless or put upon people um, in the not, I don't know if he had hit Barton Fink yet, but maybe it was the same year. For the Coens, and I was thinking, only in a movie that he like co-wrote and directed, would he put himself as the heavy character or the harder yeah. one. I think most filmmakers around this time would have maybe had him be like either the one of the two brothers, probably the one drawing at an art school, or who doesn't um, understand the workaholic um, credo of his father. And so I thought that was interesting because it's probably closer to John Turturro in real life. So I wondered if that was him kind of trying to understand his father by playing him because that message at the end of the movie, the answering machine message um, with his father saying stuff like, Oh, my son, John, you know, like if he, uh, if I wait, sometimes he'll pick up and maybe he's not there, but I'll pick up. And he's like waiting and you almost, you like feel the pain of uh, Totoro trying to understand maybe a father that was different from him and so watching it this time I was a little little bit of a wreck but yeah so it's it's a hard film but it's very good it shows how which is so true I don't know how many siblings you have I have one older brother and it shows how you know you can grow up in the same house probably closer when you're little but then as you age it's like wow sometimes you're very very different so just showed these people um, him and his brothers trying to reconcile who they were with who they want to be yeah
1: yeah I mean I I totally um that that, what you said about him um wanting to play his dad I think that's that's so spot on too because I mean I don't know I don't know how how autobiographical it is I assume it's pretty autobiographical um but you know obviously you would think he might um, relate more to the brother who is the artist and the, you know, the brothers yeah. who want to break away.
0: Exactly. And
1: yeah, it is this, it is this act of great, you know, just uh, I don't know this uh, trying to understand his dad and where he was coming from. And the fact that, you know, he was an artist in his own ways. probably, you know, something that I think the movies really, exploring because, um, you know, he's, he's looking for the artistry and, you know, he's seeing this work as yes. artistry built, building, you know, building houses, homes for people, um, as important, truly important work. And that's something that, I imagine right? like as a kid, you look at, maybe you don't see that. And then you look back as a grown, grown person and you, and you see, wow, you know, that work was just as important or more important than what I think of as important you know i mean and you know that's that's really that scene with um his sister at the end not his his not his sister in the movie but his actual sister uh ada Tichiro, oh, um, yes. plays when that couple comes to buy the house finally um it's a really really beautiful scene that i think drives that home that he's you know he's sold sold somebody a house they're going to live in this family's going to live in for the rest of their life and and You know, he thinks of it that way. He thinks of it as important, truly important work.
0: I think what you said, that was really brilliant about um, him sort of understanding what his father did as artistically important. It's sort of like film or art as therapy. And so I do love that moment in the film. Exactly. When the family's there and he's like, take good care of this place and we will because then their film or then their family is going to have the opportunity to, um, yeah, start a new life in something he designed. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and then on a, on a personal level for me, you know, one of the reasons I chose this movie and one of the reasons, uh, you know, obviously I love uh, John Turturro too. He's been one of my favorites for as long as I can remember. Um, I don't remember what the first things I saw him in, I mean, probably, you know, uh, Coen brothers, Spike Lee, you know, whatever, uh, you know, I saw him in a lot of stuff at a very formative time and kind of fell in love with him as a, as an actor first, but he, um, he went to the college. I went to, um, this state school in upstate New York, uh, SUNY New Paltz and, and Michael, Betilucco, um, who's his brother in this movie, went to both my high school, uh, this Catholic high school in Brooklyn, Severian, and that same college too. So I always felt like this personal, like these guys are kind of in a, in a world where I didn't know many artists or, or writers or actors or anything. These guys kind of stood up, well, in college I did, but in high school I didn't. Um, these guys kind of stood out in my memory as like, you know, yeah. people who were doing doing stuff that I wanted to do, you know, and and making, making art, you know, and I was looking at them as, as um, just kind of, you know, artistic heroes.
0: Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Especially because although you're from New York where people were making movies every day and from there, just to have that personal connection of these guys went to the same schools that that must've been really something. Yes.
1: Yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, it was definitely, you know, I, I didn't have um, anything else really like that, that I can think of. I didn't, there weren't many people, I, and especially again in high school, like there weren't people I knew who did that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know, I'd obviously, I didn't know these guys at all, but it was still like, you know, it was like, it was like knowing that like Chris, the, the great basketball player, Chris Mullen went to my, my high school, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, the sim- similar thing to me as as a as somebody who wanted to write was interested in movies like to know that oh this this guy who was in these great movies went here um uh, yeah you know.
0: it becomes more tangible and more real yeah. and, and aspirational at the same time i love the cast of the film i mean a lot of these people are in several of the movies we're talking about today but you yeah. have of course you have john Turturro, you have his brother, Nicholas Totoro. You have his cousin, Aida Totoro. You also have Michael Imperioli. You have Ellen Barkin. and Dennis Farina show, shows up. I mean, the cast is just tremendous.
1: It is. It is a great cast. And uh, so, did she pronounce her name Aida? I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I don't I know.
0: Ada. Aida, Aida. I have no,
1: I have no idea. It's one, of, it's one of those things I've always just kind of said in my head and probably never. But we're going to talk about her again, I'm sure, because she's an yes. Angie. So
0: you know what we'll do is um, we'll say both things and then we're okay. like one of us is right at one time like who knows yeah we'll just
1: yeah we'll just mix it up we'll that's tag a
0: good, team it yes <laughs>
1: that's, that's a good good plan
0: I know I um, always worry about butchering names but yes I think we're we're close we mean it with affection that's what's important I think.
1: totally it's a my my problem is once it gets in my head it becomes a psychological thing and then I you know if I especially if I know the right way to say it then I'll start saying the wrong way out of some like self-destructive impulse or something I don't know Um, yeah
0: I know I do uh, the same thing so yeah don't worry about um, that
1: (laughs) no but it it is it is a really really wonderful uh wonderful cast Uh, John Amos yeah I mean just so so many good so many good people in it and um and you can see I mean his movies are all like that the movies that he's directed you can see people just love him and want to work with him um or whatever you you know i mean romance and cigarettes the cast is incredible like you know like Knock this out. i mean really all all of his movies I and mean, it's just like you can imagine he's just like hey, i'm making a movie you want to be in it and everybody's just jumping at it yeah of course yeah. for you uh, yeah definitely i know um, it's, uh,
0: yeah people he's worked with or like ellen barkin was married to i think gabriel Byrne at the time right after miller's crossing so yeah just yeah. Like, a nice little uh, constellation of who he knew. Well, the yeah, next and this is, I mean,
1: I do really think that I, sh- I will say one last thing. I do really think this is a vastly underrated movie. I mean, I don't think many people know it. Um, no. And it's a shame because it's really, um, it's really wonderful.
0: Did you see it on video around the time? Cause I saw it on IFC, I believe a couple of years later.
1: Yeah. I never had cable. So I only, I would have seen it on I would have rented it from a video store. Um, you know, so I probably saw, it. it came out in 92. I probably wouldn't have seen it until 93 or something. Okay,
0: yeah. Um.
1: But yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, and it's, I think it's the, I mean, maybe maybe the best, uh, I can't think of uh, any contenders along with it right now. Maybe the best Queens movie ever. Um,
0: okay, cool.
1: We've got the, bor- we the borough as well represented today because we've got That's a great what Queens movie.
0: Yeah, Brooklyn, like, gr- yeah. Staten great Island. Brooklyn movie.
1: Staten Island the best Staten Island movie ever made I believe
0: um, yes <laughs> I don't think
1: there's another I don't think there's another contender um so yeah that, I hadn't really thought about that when I was thinking about these all as New York movies but they are pretty wide ranging I guess the Bronx is not represented but other than I know, that I
0: was wondering about that I was like oh should we squeeze in a Bronx film <laughs> but <laughs>
1: I should have so. my wife my wife's my wife's family is from the Bronx and so now they're okay. gonna all hey but next time
0: be yes yeah <laughs> they're gonna be <laughs> mad at me oh well the next film is one of two we discussed including from the very gifted filmmaker nancy savoka who i actually did a women in film project on in college the director of the breakthrough hit true love with annabella sciorra which shockingly beat Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape to earn the top prize at Sundance, even though I think it was called the American Film Festival at the time. While we talked about True Love, and it definitely fits the bill for this episode, my personal favorite that she made was Dogfight, which came out in 1991 with Lily Taylor, who also stars in today's excellent Savoka Future Household Saints, from 1993, based upon the novel by Francine Prose and adapted by Savoca and her writing partner and husband, Richard Guay. This multi-generational family tale begins with the marriage of Tracy Ullman's Catherine Falconetti to the local butcher in her New York neighborhood, Joseph Sant'Angelo, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who is legend has it. His character won his bride from her father in a Pinochle game. Another legend about the Fal- Falconetti Santangelo family is about their daughter, Teresa, played by Lily Taylor, who decades after the events of the film, which take place in the 50s through, I believe, the late 60s, possibly early 70s, people call a saint a very devout Catholic with a level of faith that far exceeds her parents. We follow Teresa as she tests herself to be worthy of God's love and matures into a young woman with a boyfriend played once again by Michael Imperioli, also featuring a moving turn by Michael Rispoli as Teresa's uncle, the brother of Almond's Catherine, who hasn't been the same since World War II. While the last act and the ending of the film to me at least feels a bit rushed. It is a great Italian American epic that I'm glad you gave me an excuse to revisit. So how about you? What's your take on Household Saints?
1: Um, well, I number one, I am I am with you. I love a Dogfights one of my favorite movies of all yes. the time. Um, so I, I that's my favorite of her movies, uh, for sure. Um, but I did yeah, we we kind of talked about True Love or This for um for, for this episode and uh true love is pretty widely unavailable and so it, so is household saints really and i think you know i, I had to rewatch it on youtube uh, which i think might that version that's up there is maybe missing 10 minutes or something um, yeah some... there was
0: a little like cut that didn't quite work but
1: yeah there's maybe a few of them um so which is a shame this this movie also um I think True Love at Least got a DVD release. I don't think Household Saints has gotten a physical release since VHS, oh, yeah. um, which is a shame. But I yeah, I, I I love um I love Dogfight and uh that would have been probably my reason to see this movie as a kid. Um you know mm-hmm. Dogfight was a movie I immediately fell in love with when I saw it, you know, at, at 13 or whatever. Um and I, I love River Phoenix, and, I, and I, of course, I love Lily Taylor. And this probably would have been one of the next big Lily Taylor movies I, I saw. Um, and uh, you know, I, I probably loved it for that reason, um, primarily at first. Um, but yeah, it's a since then, I'd say I, I, I do quite like the movie a lot you know i like mm-hmm. the movie a lot but I, I i've you know i read the book at some point um along the way you know probably 15 years ago for the first time and i love francine prose i think she's a brilliant brilliant novelist and i think the book is amazing I, you know i think the book is better than the the movie certainly um but um i do think it, it's pretty interesting as an adaptation and it's uh, an incredible cast this is one of this is the beginning of our uh Michael Rispoli trilogy here um and uh or Michael Rispoli sorry another name I just
0: I don't know either messed yeah. up. um sorry,
1: uh, Michael you know, so, I don't
0: know <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah I think uh I think it's a, a really fascinating movie I think the the f- I, I saw you post a about it on letterbox i think the framing device is awful uh, and unnecessary yeah. but aside from that uh, you know i think it's pretty pretty well done and you know it, one of the things that growing up in in an italian american family in an italian american neighborhood and and one of the things i write about one of the things i've kind of absorbed is this this fascination maybe even an obsession with myth and legend and Mm -hmm. and um this is all about that to me i mean you know it's just and the the book you know the book it's really framed that way more more bluntly um you know it's it's like someone's telling a a fairy tale or a folk tale and um about real people or you know the uh, the a saint the life of a saint um those those have that same feeling and this is that i mean this is the life of a saint basically in in new york um and so yeah i mean i I really uh i really liked it quite a bit on this rewatch it had been a while since i'd last seen it um i've read the book more recently and and really recommend um that too uh yeah it's it's uh lily taylor's wonderful as always um tracy ellman i think is really interesting she
0: is yeah she's somebody i wouldn't have expected in this role i mean she did by this point i think she'd done i love you to death um yeah for kazdan but yeah hadn't really done um uh too i don't know too much as an actor i, I could be getting that one wrong um no, she's or at so, least dramatic. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I she would have been kind of heavily in the air back then. I mean, it was around the time probably that she had her show and um and you know, she's such a shapeshifter. I mean, one of the things that I think that's really impressive about her and both both her and Vincent D'Onofrio in this movie. Yeah. And I love Vince I, I love Vincent D'Onofrio. One of my they favorites. both are. <laughs> yeah, me me too. And they're both so capable in this movie without like Ostensibly doing much of anything, of looking really young in the beginning and then really old by the end. And yes. there's not really like it's not like a lot of makeup or anything. They just they just change. It's like they're all of a sudden they're an older version of themselves.
0: Um, yeah, I mean they're only I think about eight years or at least uh, D'Onofrio was like eight years older than Lily Taylor who he'd worked with in Mystic Pizza. But he does right. seem like he's aged in front of her eyes a little bit. Yeah. I loved this one too, because um, it reminded me of stories I'd heard about. uh, Again, this would have been um, uh, coming over. Uh, My great-grandfather did work in a a butcher shop, so I thought that was really interesting uh, to have that little link there. I also, as a person who uh, grew up somewhat Catholic, but then uh, I'm not religious at all. Like I only did a year and a half of Catholic school. That's all I could do. I, that yeah. wasn't for me. Uh, but one of my best <laughs> friends growing up is now a Catholic priest. So this, yeah, this was interesting. All of the Catholic guilt, which is another cornerstone of the Italian American experience. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and so oh, I think, uh, and I, I also grew up Catholic and I did twelve years of Catholic school. and oh, I'm, wow. <laughs> I'm not Good Catholic I'm,
0: boy, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm also not not religious anymore. But I call myself um, Catholic haunted. Um, I like I'm, that. I'm kind of I'm kind of obsessed with you know with that stuff, even though I don't go to church and mm-hmm. not you know not involved in any way definitely um fascinated by representations of it i think all these movies really in some way or another are are catholic haunted movies um or you know that or at least you know maybe maybe um mac and angie of the five we're talking about probably kind of confront it the least, but it's yeah. there and all of it it's there in the background and all of them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, all these, all these characters.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all of these characters in all five of these movies are Catholic. You know, really mm-hmm. everybody and they're all shaped by that and the guilt and the shame and the, you know, the 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 stories that they grew up with. But this is the most, most um Direct. bluntly mm-hmm. yeah, Catholic and, you know, and um so yeah, I mean I think that that's um that's really I, I can't remember if they say it in the movie, but another thing I should mention, I guess, is that you know I love I love the name Falconetti. Um I, I named uh one of my characters and in, in my books, Amy Falconetti, um after the actress from uh The Passion of Joan of Arc. Um oh, wow. And that's where these Th- these characters are, are the Falconettis, and that, um, that comes from, um, that in the book anyway, it's mentioned that, that, that actress is a, a relative of, of his, um,
0: Oh, that a, is so a, cool.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, a. I don't think that ever gets mentioned in the film. Maybe they just thought, you know, well, oh, nobody's going to, nobody's going to care about, this link to this silent movie actress, Um,
0: but
1: but I love that. And I was just rereading the book this week a little bit. And I've kind of forgotten that. And um, so it's always, it's a a name I've always, you know, I I love passion of Joan of Arc. That's one of my favorite movies, but um, I just always loved that name too. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I love that connection to the, to this story and the fact that, you know, that, that story is you know has uh, weighs heavily over this story i mean this is a a story of of a saint um Mm -hmm. essentially or a a version of a saint um and yeah so illusion
0: for the author to have used to passion of uh joan of arc yeah
1: yeah totally
0: oh that is so good i was going to ask you because i assumed you would probably read this book how does it compare especially with the um story of the uncle I, I, he was really yeah. fascinating to me, but we only know like a little bit about him. Uh, Michael Spoli's character or Rispoli's character. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering how, how was he on the page?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I just, I just, I wish I'd, I'd kind of, um, planned oh, a little sorry. better cause I, <laughs> no, no, I just started rereading it a couple of days ago cause it's been, it's been a while since I last read it. Uh-huh. Um, so I just kind of like sixty seventy pages back into it, mm-hmm. so I can't really. I'm I'm somebody who needs to have things really fresh in my mind.
0: I am the um, same way, so I totally understand.
1: Yeah. So I can't really speak to the whole thing, but but so far, um, it's it's you know having just rewatched the movie and now rereading the book, it's very faith. I mean, the the framing device isn't there at all. Thank um, goodness. You know, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's none of, there's none of that. Um, but it's very faithful beyond that and, and and a lot of it is a lot of it is more fleshed out um you know so that character is already you know um more fleshed out on the page so i think you know i think that's probably one of the things that the movie tries to do and maybe doesn't quite succeed at is is kind of have this be a story of all of these characters um okay. but it you know it, it doesn't really do that as much as the book does. Um, yeah, you know, so it just kind of hones in on the one, the yep. one thing and the, the Michael Rispoli character winds up really feeling like a little bit of a kind of add on or underdeveloped, underdeveloped side story in the, in the movie. Um, but in the book, it's, it's much more thorough and much more, you know, uh, upfront
0: Yeah. I mean, you can kind of look at it as they included it. It was um, his character kind of is another metaphor of somebody trying to find meaning. Uh, He was sort of obsessed with the experiences he had had in the war with um, Japanese culture and Asian culture and uh, was haunted by it. Um, So, you know, he's finding meaning in a different way. belief system or trying to I mean to his own way obviously he's very messed up but sort of like she is trying to find they so they are kind of existential hers is religious so I guess I can see that link but I was just very curious about him as a as a veteran going through PTSD I mean going through something too there might have been a personality issue before the war like we don't know So that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That stuff, that stuff's all definitely more, more developed in the book. And I do think that's an interesting through line in all these movies because basically all of these movies have characters that are kind of you know uh, some of them they're more the side characters and some of them yeah. are the main characters but kind of characters who feel like outsiders in this in this world and that's something I really um you know uh,
0: can respond to
1: ap- yep. empathize with and and Same. you know feel feel uh close to um you know th- these are characters who are feeling trapped by by the world that they live in or trapped by the people around them or as as a Michael Rispoli's character says in Two Family House that he realizes at a certain point that these are his jailers
0: yeah Um, that's such a good line yeah uh
1: you know so I think I think that that's something that runs through and how they respond obviously is is different and Mac it winds up being that these that Michael Vatiluccio and the other brother just wind up having to break away and and kind of cut ties with with Mac um, but it's, you know, it's different for, and this, this character is, you know, can't find his way out without, no. you know, en- ending, ending things for himself, really. Yeah. Um, so it's really, yeah, it's, it, he's a, he is a fascinating character that I think, um, is a, a little bit more developed and more fully fascinating in the book, but still, I think they, you know, she does a really interesting job with his story in the, in the movie too.
0: Yeah. She works with actors extraordinarily well. I think that's one of her strengths. I actually came to her filmography later. It was in college. I was assigned her uh, in my women in film class and I had seen none of her movies. I wrote my thesis actually on sex lies and videotapes. So I like knew tangentially oh, wow. a little bit like, Oh, that's right. You know, uh, she did beat. So it was good to watch her film. And then, um, then watch her others and just became very obsessed. I mean, she started to kind of go downhill around the time of like 24 hour woman was not a good picture. I love Rosie Perez, but even with Rosie Perez, though, I mean, she works with actors just so beautifully. And this is another one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this is I mean, I think, you know, this is a incredible trilogy of films. I mean, that just that run alone of true love dogfight and, and this is you know and and really uh, none of them are very widely available you know no, it's insane to I me to hunt um, them
0: down yeah
1: you know i mean dogfight's gotten a little bit more love lately it was shown on uh, tcm and hbo max as part of that um tcm fest i think but that that was really the first time that had even been pretty yeah. widely out there i know
0: um
1: and it's it's crazy and they're they're really um, you know. Some of the best films of the early 90s.
0: Yeah, so well well put there. Well, another one with another female filmmaker. And I know it's one that means a lot to you. So originally developed for Madonna, who dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. And because Caravan, the production company, had reservations about uh, her acting abilities, director Martha Coolidge's 1994 film Angie wound up starring Madonna's A League of Their Own co-star, Gina Davis. In the film, she stars as an Italian-American young woman in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn who shocks her family and friends when she announces she's pregnant, but has no interest in marrying her longtime boyfriend since they were sweethearts in school, played by James Gandolfini. Instead, defying expectations by trying to assert her own independence and find out who she is and what she wants, even falling into a romance with the handsome Irishman played by Stephen Ray. She struggles to reconcile her future life as a mother when she has so many questions about her own who abandoned her as a girl. I feel like this is two very different movies uh, with the medical scare in the last half of the film that didn't really go with the first half, at least to me, and it felt a little bit uh, disingenuous. I'm sure it was much more seamless in the novel, but the cast again here is phenomenal. There's a line from Annie Hall that jokes, I'm standing here with the cast of The Godfather, and in Angie you could say I'm standing here with the cast of The Sopranos, as it includes, again, so many great actors We even see on that show, including Gandolfini, Aida Turturro, Michael Rispoli, again, these people, this great well of New York-based Italian-American talent who were available for these parts in this period is just tremendous. But more importantly, back to Angie, which was based on the book Angie I Says by Avra Wing. What is your take on this one?
1: Well, so this, this movie um, came out in 1994 and it was shot um, in my neighborhood, uh, you know, and so it was one of the first movies I ever, you know, was kind of around when they were, (laughs) you know, my neighborhood uh, is famous for um, two things when it comes to movies. Uh, The Saturday Night Fever was filmed in part there. The the it's that opening scene where Travolta is doing his kind of double slice sh- strut. That's yes. on Eighty Sixth Street, right right near, uh, not far from the block where I grew up, and um and then the French Connection chase scene is probably the you know those are the two most well known things ever you know still ever shot in my neighborhood so. Um, When I was growing up and kind of falling in love with movies, uh, it was a big deal. Anytime a movie was shot or shot in part in, in my neighborhood. And the two from that time um, that I remember kind of really like watching from the sidelines as they were filmed were the the Steven Seagal movie out for justice. um, And this Angie and um, you know, and I, of course, at that time, new gina davis i mean she was probably probably my favorite and you know this was a she was cut when she made this movie she was coming off um you know uh one of you know this this trilogy of of to me just masterpieces um quick change and a league of their own and i'm forgetting one other thing that she did right before this but there's another one that's great um and so you know to see her on 86th street, you know, a couple of blocks from my house. Uh, I knew probably knew James Gandolfini at that point too, only from like True Romance. I think that had
0: come oh, yeah, out. Oh that's right, yeah. A couple Scary of years earlier, <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, I watched, I remember watch vividly watching um, as they filmed the the scene where they're on, they're on the, at this kind of bookstall towards the beginning um on 86th Street. Uh, oh, I love your
0: photo. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In your medium
0: piece.
1: Yeah. So they're getting um they're getting a, you know, just like a he, he picks up a baby name book mm-hmm. uh or something. And um, so I remember watching from across the street as they filmed that. And um, you know, I'd never never seen anything like it. I mean the the pants she's wearing, she's she's you know huge huge she's so tall I just thought this woman was a, a god you know Yeah. and um and so that that's one of my you know great memories and it's it's interesting if nothing else I mean there are many things about this movie I find very interesting and I think work really well but if for no other reason I'm drawn to this movie just to go back and see my neighborhood uh in the 90s and you know that these stores and That are gone and uh a lot of the the way it looked then is is really captured in this film so that's that's one thing they stand outside um there's another scene kind of early in the movie where they're standing outside a movie theater and that's that's the movie theater i went to as a kid the lowe's oriental um and uh you know the on the on the um what's playing there in the movie is cliffhanger and uh, Uh, yes Uh, yeah and what's love got to do with it so um and i you know you can see you can find a picture of that theater with angie up on on the the um the board um and you know i saw angie there when it came out in 1994 and, and that theater closed down the following year it closed down in 95 um so there's all sorts of little stuff like that. She late in the movie, she passes this bakery, uh, Villa Bella uh, that I, you know, was a block from my house that we used to go oh. to all the time. Um, so there there's that kind of personal connection. But then beyond that, um, you know, so this this is a movie I saw when it came out. I, I liked it at the time. Uh, it was another movie like Fatso that was panned, just panned.
0: Yes, I remember that.
1: Just destroyed. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a bomb but it also got like one-star reviews everywhere. And, um, you know, at the time I don't probably, you know, wouldn't have paid a huge amount of attention to that attention to that other than a couple of, you know, local papers. But, um, I remember liking it at the time and I didn't watch it for many years and I went back to it. Um, you know, I I guess a couple of years ago, um, uh, it was the 25th anniversary of it. And I was like, oh, I gotta go. I mean, well, nobody was celebrating that anniversary, but yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of people were doing this kind of like, you know, it's 2019 and they were, they were looking back at the films of 1994 and, and, uh, you know, a lot of great films came out that year and, yes. and I was, I was drawn to, to going back to this one and it had just, it just got a Blu-ray release around that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, from, yeah, Kino. from Kino. Yep. And you know, I also, you know, in the interim, uh, you know, I came to uh, the more I studied film and learned about film and you know, I, I was definitely fairly young in 94 in high school and just kind of learning the ropes, so I probably hadn't seen or didn't know many Martha Coolidge movies. So coming to it now and appreciating her as a director was a was a, a nice um a nice thing too. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a, I, I do think it's a vastly underrated movie. I think to me, um, there are, there are wild tonal shifts in it and that's what I, that's part of what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it feels to me very much like, uh, uh and I wrote about this a little bit in that. Oh in yeah. That you
0: mentioned pre-codes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It feels a lot to me like a kind of pre-code movie where it'll just shift under your feet and it doesn't yeah. know if it's a comedy or a drama melodrama. or a melodrama yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah it's all that and I, I like that about it and I also you know from a, I also say this in that in that essay um, as a kid one of the things I loved about it was that you know so many movies that I saw so many things I read were about people coming to New York from places escaping to New York and this was a character who wanted to escape New York essentially and, and had yeah, this that's this true idealistic vision of this, this mother, uh, who ran away, um, you know, who was from Texas, Texas and yep. ran away to Texas. And, um, you know, so I, I was really interested in, Yeah, you know, I was always drawn to Peter Bogdanovich's the thing called love for that same reason that you oh, had I that, love that
0: movie. Yep.
1: I do too. And I mean, and that Samantha Mathis character that, you know, here's somebody who's from New York and wants to get to Nashville. Like I like, yeah. I was interested in stuff like that, like characters who wanted to leave New York, and get somewhere else or we're looking for something else or couldn't right. find what they wanted there yeah, um, that's a
0: really good point because usually we're so used to seeing movies like i mean recently like ladybird oh i can't wait to get to new york i mean it's been a thing for decades like when i get to new york my life will start happening and so this one was different for that reason and for a lot of reasons it's funny. I just did a pre-code episode with Sheila O'Malley where we talked right, about yeah. a lot of these movies and they do, they switch. I mean, it can be a comedy one minute and then it's almost a horror movie. I mean, you think yeah. Face <laughs> is like, oh, yay, violence. And then at the end or like the end of uh, Public Enemy, my goodness. I mean, these movies do change quite frequently in their their tones back when it came out in 94 i remember going because I, I was a huge fan of gina davis i loved her um oscar-winning turn in accidental tourist i'm the weirdo that will talk about that movie at a drop of hat and <laughs> um weird. i love um a league of their own of course and so i was really excited and i remember critics like honing in on her and coming down like she's not italian and it's like you guys you know, neither is Andy Garcia in Godfather Three, but he's like what the best thing in that movie. Come on, yeah, and, totally. And like you should be able to play whatever, and so uh, I didn't have a problem with that. I remember I actually really liked the movie a lot when I was um, a teenager, and nobody could get why they were like, "Why does she like this movie?" At the time, <laughs> um, but as an adult, it didn't work as well for me. I I think part of it is probably like. Just exactly what we talked about, where you come to these at different points of your life, and so they play differently. And so, at the time I had seen it, I wasn't aware that my oldest brother had actually passed away a couple of days after he was born, from like he was born with all kinds of health problems, and like we know now, it was the genetic disorder that I was just diagnosed with this year. So like watching this movie, I didn't know that was coming because I couldn't really remember it. So it was a bit of a mess. But even like it just I think that would have worked a little better for me if I felt like we knew her better than just ah, she doesn't she's done with these people in her life. Like, you know, her dad and the the crazy stepmom that puts ketchup in the tomato sauce, and all of that, which cracks me up. And cheese, cheese whiz and all of that, um, who isn't Italian and wants to be. I thought that was a funny touch. But I I wanted to know more about Angie, like before we found out she was pregnant, I guess. And like what does she want besides I'm tired of all these people in my life? That was just probably yeah. me though.
1: Yeah, um, no, no, I I definitely understand that take. I, I mean, I think one of the other things I really like about it and and maybe this kind of plays into that or, or maybe it doesn't um, but you know one of the things that, that kind of drives me a little nuts is is when people are you know kind of complain about not being able to cheer for a character or root for a character or that the character is oh, yeah, too unlikable
0: squad. yeah um, I did like that it,
1: you know and I love that this is this is a messy she is yes, a messy is. complicated person and 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 pretty unlikable for a lot of a lot oh, of yeah. this a lot of this movie, and I, that makes me like her. You know, I mean, that makes me interested in her. And I it's don't know, real. you know, mm-hmm. she is. I mean, and I think um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't. I guess I never really questioned uh, who she is or, or her backstory more because okay. I kind of bought into the fact that she. She was afloat in this place where she was she from, is. but didn't feel like she mm-hmm. belonged. And she didn't really have an identity as uh as, you know, other than her one good friend. Um, you know, it's she didn't life, really yeah. have any identity um in this in this place. And that was something I think I just kind of connected to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love I love how how messy and complicated she is. And I, I know that's what kind of drew Gina, I watched some some extras um, that had interviews with her, and, and that was what drew her to the part. I, I do think it would have been interesting with Madonna in it, too. And I know Madonna didn't do this movie and instead wound up doing... Or because it conflicted with Abel, Abel Ferrara's Ferrara. mm-hmm. Dangerous Game, which I actually just rewatched too, and I really liked that movie, and I think it's her, her best performance. But, um, you know, I, it would have been... Yeah, I don't know. I, I she's she's I like Madonna, and and I, I even like her as an actress. But she's not Gina Davis, and I think Gina no. Davis is really good in this movie. And I, I never, I never get taken out of things by the fact, no, you know, not that at
0: all.
1: this this person oh this she's not really Italian or she's yeah. never. I mean, you know, I, I don't think she overdoes the the accent. I mean, I think she plays it pretty good, and you know, I think there's a real sincerity and and just um, just just something real in her performance that cuts through any anything I would complain about on that, that level. But I, I do think she, you know, and this isn't like, like Fatso, this is a, this is kind of a movie that begins to wreck her career, I guess. Um, I know.
0: Yep. It was I mean, this and then Cutthroat Island and yeah. And of course, because she was being choosy, of course, after the box office success of, League their own and winning an Oscar. She had every right to be, but you know, oh, yeah. it's a woman. So then she became known yeah. as demanding or whatever. It was and certain
1: certainly the the sexism of the uh, industry. But she, I mean, she was, you know, this this is a I mean, I love that she wanted to do this movie and that she wanted to play because it's not just a I mean it's not, you know, it's not a hit movie. I mean no, it doesn't it have isn't. the pedigree. It doesn't have that pedigree. It doesn't have a you know it's not a movie that was gonna bring in audiences or win awards. I, you know I mean, I think but it was it was an interesting choice from a character perspective.
0: No, you're exactly right. And I think you know we talked about Savoka, the the one two three punch there for gina davis it is kind of fun to revisit these movies um i guessed it on my friend scott weinberg's podcast called overhated which asks are these movies like as bad as their reputation or were people a little much and i think it would be kind of cool to look at these movies um this one there was uh, i mean eventually she did long kiss goodnight with her husband rennie harlan again yeah, i love i
1: love long kiss goodnight. Yeah, yeah and That's there's
0: cutthroat island there there's speechless with michael keaton which i actually right. really adore i just uh gave a copy to my friend kate gabrielle as well and so oh, nice. i think she was doing some some kind of cool uh unexpected things in uh the 90s with her power and was punished for it unfortunately when it didn't bring in too much money
1: yeah, yeah absolutely oh, and i'm so dumb that the the movie i was blanking on before is Thelma and Louise of course like that one two, that was three a, of,
0: I forgot that in my head too What <laughs> were we? it was like a mutual yeah. thing there Bill yeah. it was
1: Thelma Thelma <laughs> and huge Louise hits. quick change Thelma and Louise um League of Their Own all you know back and then that, I think that um that movie Hero was mixed in there which I actually like okay but that wasn't that yeah. wasn't a huge hit or anything but those three were I mean you know um especially Thelma and Louise and League of Their Own were, were tremendous Yes. Um quick change is one of my favorites i mean i love i her love
0: that. that movie
1: yep and you know i just i mean she is just kind of to me uh one of one of the greats and one of the the most watchable um just complicated actresses of that of that era mm-hmm. um yeah
0: so that was cool that you chose it so we could break it down and yeah so i could revisit it because she was doing really daring things in this period i think she
1: was and and like you said i mean it's it's you know if anybody you know didn't like this movie I I could understand that, but it is fascinating on a number of levels. It is fascinating to see like half the cast of The Sopranos in this movie, you know, or whatever. And the location stuff is really, really wonderful. There's lots of great um, Brooklyn stuff. Uh, You know, it's really, it looks, I think it looks, I think it looks really good. Uh, You know, the Blu-ray I have from Kino looks really good. Yeah, it was a beautiful um, transfer. And uh, you know the the Stephen Ray stuff is a little a little strange, but again I like. Yeah, the it's like a different picture.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like the jaggedness of this movie. I like the the unpredictability of it. That you know it could have been a movie that was trying to be Moonstruck or or yeah. something, and it and it really really it goes a left against turn.
0: yeah hard yeah left. it goes. <laughs>
1: It does. It takes a hard left. And it's really like, uh, I mean, it's never really a comedy at all, though. There are funny yeah. moments.
0: Yeah. Like the scene in the museum with Ray. Yeah.
1: I think, I think it's best to think about it as kind of like a, a melodrama or like even um, like a Stella Dallas kind of yes. like thirties weepy kind of thing. Um, you know, structurally it.
0: It came out 60 it t- years too late. Yep. Yeah,
1: it, it did. I mean, you know, I think, I think it is, does feel very much like a thirties movie, like a kind of, uh, you know, Sadie McKee or Stella Dallas, like one of those movies where you're just tracking this woman through, you know, trouble and, and bad decisions and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, lastly, we have another one with the cast of the Sopranos. We have uh, (laughs) my favorite film of this terrific collection and selection that you chose, Another one that stars, yes, at least seven members of TV <laughs> Sopranos, including its dynamite lead, Michael Rispoli, Rispoli talent-wise. It's, he's kind of one of the hidden secrets of the era. At least watching all of these back-to-back, you really get the sense of, we failed this guy. A character yeah. actor um, and a character acting MVP with charisma and pathos in Two Family House from writer-director Raymond D. Felita. Polita Rispoli stars as a man based on the filmmaker's uncle, Buddy Vassalo, who in 1950, Staten Island, is tired of his humble blue-collar life where he works from dusk till dawn, but still lives with his wife Estelle, played by Catherine Narducci's family, a tireless dreamer with a history of failed ventures. As the movie begins, he buys a dilapidated, two-family home in the Elm Park neighborhood of Staten Island, where he hopes to eventually open his own bar, Buddy's Tavern, and live upstairs with Estelle. Unfortunately, he first will need to get rid of the current tenants, the abusive, alcoholic, and older Irishman played by Kevin Conway, and the man's much younger, very beautiful, very pregnant wife played by the gifted Kelly McDonald, Unwilling to pay rent, or leave, at least initially, after McDonald's Mary delivers her child, who is apparently not only not her husband's, but also half African-American, the old man leaves town, never to be seen from again. Conflicted about leaving this destitute young woman and her child to fend for themselves, Buddy secretly rents them a place at his friends, and as he goes to check on the pair, he begins to fall in love with Mary, with whom he shares the same open-minded attitudes about racial equality and optimism for the future and dreams of a better life, which are in stark contrast with the prejudices of his neighborhood and his wife's insistence that they just keep working, keep their heads out of the clouds and keep them down, and accept a smaller lot in life. It's a very moving, very human story beautifully acted the winner of the audience award at Sundance and one I know plays very well with an audience because I curated and hosted a screening of it here in Scottsdale and everyone expectedly loved it I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Two Family House
1: well I know you know I know you're a a longtime fan of this this movie right so did you did you (laughs) you saw it when it came out
0: yes when it came out on DVD I don't think it played at the theater by us no
1: so this was this was a, a fairly recent discovery for me too kind of in the vein of fatso um you know i I'd, I'd seen um, Raymond di felita's um uh, city island when it came out mm-hmm. and i think that was pro and i like that movie with andy garcia um i like that movie quite a bit um yeah uh, but i i'd, I'd I don't think I'd seen anything of his before that. I I somehow missed this one when it came, when it came out. um, And I don't know what its physical release situation was, but it never crossed my path to the point where I really didn't even know about it until a couple of years ago um, when I rewatched or I watched a couple of other movies of his. um, And then I was just going back and looking at his filmography and, and trying to track down the ones I hadn't seen. And so I watched this and I was just blown away by it. And I mm-hmm. uh, couldn't like, was it not, you know, I say this a lot, but it was one of those things where I just couldn't believe I hadn't encountered it. It, couldn't, it was so far up my alley that I couldn't believe I I'd missed it. Didn't know yeah. about it. Um, so I just, you know, it was kind of one of my, one of my great film discoveries from, I guess, just a couple of years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, um, I think watching rewatching it this time, it's, it is like you said, really interesting to go from him, Michael Rispoli in, um, household saints to Angie to this and just see
0: yeah.
1: what incredible range he had. And, and the fact that he could have, I mean, he could have been, you know, I mean, I know he was a, also a, a star of the Sopranos, but he could have been a, a Gandolfini level star
0: I think he was um, in the running I heard yeah yeah
1: I mean he he's so great and I he mean, should he's have had.
0: Yeah.
1: right right yeah no he definitely was um and you know I mean I think he should have been that level of of star though you know I mean he could yes. have been so he's he's somebody you can I mean you know Edie Falco is um you know she's one of my favorites and oh, yeah I think she's gone on to have the kind of career that he could have had like he I could see him in a Nicole Holf center movie. I could see him in uh nurse Lynn Shelton movie. <laughs> yeah. I could see him in nurse. I, you know, I could see him in so many different, he could, you know, I could see him in a in mob movies. He could do, a, a you know, a, a lot of different things. Well, um, but this movie is just, you know, I think it's like I said earlier, I think it's the best, uh, the best Staten Island movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really, you know, it's another great movie for, for screaming. Catherine Narducci is a great, screamer um she's just constantly yelling
0: yes constantly um, <laughs> like, where are you standing there when they're <laughs> when she goes into labor yes
1: i love that i love his relationship with, with kelly mcdonald um you know i think it's she's really one of my uh,
0: favorite actresses yeah she's
1: yeah she's she and she's wonderful in it um you know, i think it got yeah you know, i think that the the writing's good i mean the fact that it's uh you know another story for me where and i, I kind of talked a little bit about this earlier, but, you know, that this is a character who is, is, has a, has a dream and in this case, you know, wants to, wants to be a singer and mm-hmm. has been kind of discouraged from, from that and just told it's a pipe dream and, you know, just do something practical. And, you know, so, um, you know, I love that. I love this movie as a study of somebody again, who is trapped in this world that he really, is kind of not at not at home in you know these are mm-hmm. the people he's surrounded with um, but you know he's he's until he meets Kelly McDonald there's really nobody he actually has he in. Uh, yeah uh, yeah an important connection with mm-hmm. um, and you know, so I love I love that um, I think it's just a really you know beautiful melancholy tender little movie um, great characters movie uh just great place movie um really really lovely um you know and, and it's uh re-watching it I've, so I've watched it i guess i've watched it three times now since um since i first saw it a couple of years ago and and um you know it's it's highly i find it highly rewatchable. um mm-hmm. it
0: really is yeah. yep
1: and it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's, I, it's not impossible to see, but it's not available anywhere as far as I can tell, except for Raymond D. Felita's website where he's got it streaming for free, which is really nice. Um, and which you know, I so didn't it know is,
0: until you let me know that that's incredible. Yes. Because I've been holding on to my DVD copy of this for like dear life. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's really, uh, and actually he's got, he's got a couple, he, he made a movie in the nineties called Cafe Society, um, not any relation to the Woody Allen movie, um, but he uh, he's got that one up there too, and he's got maybe maybe City Island is up there too. Like, there's a few on his on his site that you can watch. But this one, most importantly, because it's and uh, and Cafe Society, I guess, because they're not they're out. The DVD is out of print. the mm-hmm.
0: streaming anywhere
1: else. So to see it, you've got to got to go there, and uh, that's a really a. a very nice gift because um, it is a movie I've rewatched a few times since I first saw it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I've been lamenting the absence of a lot of these indies because they were like produced by these small little companies in the uh, nineties and early zeros um, that were part of like mergers and acquisitions. You know, there was focus features and there was, all these like little teeny things. And then where are the movies now? Like, uh, you know, there was the USA banner. There were so many of these little banners and unfortunately not a lot of these are available. And so it's, it's really rough when that happens. I talked about happy accidents recently on a podcast, one of my favorite movies. And even though it was like, I think distributed by IFC films i can't remember who was the first little company that actually did the producing duties on it and it's yeah that one is basically out of print so there's so many of these that's really awesome that he put them on his website because i do hope people check it out have you seen i I just looked up his filmography bottom of the ninth i think i have a screener of somewhere so i'm gonna watch that one but rob the mob i really love did you see that one
1: I did, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. actually that was that was the I think that was the movie that was the impetus for me to go back and you know i I'd, I'd seen City island um and liked it, and then I, when I saw Rob the mob, I was like, oh i, I really like I loved this and then I went back and watched City Island again and then I discovered two family house and cafe society and uh bottom of the night is pretty pretty good too it's got some weird like little you know the way it's shot, it's like kind of digital or something so there's oh some okay. Of, you know cgi baseball stuff or something oh, but it, it, it doesn't but it's not about that so there's not a, like a lot of it
0: okay cool.
1: um so it's you know it's character. not too distracting <laughs> uh, yeah no it's a very i mean it's very true to the spirit of i mean it feels like a, a 70s or 90s indie movie but it's made in the late 20 teens so it doesn't look like that you know uh, but it but it feels like that it's got it's it's uh got the spirit of that kind of stuff um but one one other thing i was thinking about two family house too is that it like fatso fatso came out in 1980 and two family house came out in 2000 i think and that's also kind of this you know so it's a lost little period where it feels very much like a 90s indie movie it does I mean, it feels cut from that cloth and it's kind of you know um the fact that it's a movie that is a you know early early aughts movie um doesn't really match its its tone or spirit
0: yeah it's more 90s than the aughts for sure yeah
1: yeah and that's you know and that is that for me too that's like you know obviously i chose four of these five films today i chose our, our 90s um 90s or you know I, this movie was I guess shot in 99 so we Makes call sense. it kind of a 90s 90s movie so you know I mean it, that's that's definitely an era that I'm drawn to and respond to and it's such a rich time for independent film and um, just you know and it's always stuff to turn up and you know I think this is a prime example of that to me I mean the, the fact that this was a movie I watch a lot of movies and you know yes, you do and, and I didn't know about, know this about movie. it i mean it's yeah. slipped through the cracks i mean um i don't know how or why you know probably it was just like at that time it came out because maybe i was one of my more kind of disconnected periods from okay. new releases and stuff yeah um, so i just missed it and then i just continued to miss it but uh, i'm glad i found it event i'm always just when i when i think about stuff like that i'm just always grateful thankful that you I found, it found it eventually Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I I can't regret that I missed it then. I just glad I found it now, and and it hits me now probably uh, in a different way than it would have then. So, rewatching it for the first time, anyway.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's like there's so many movies in the world when people are shocked, like you haven't seen blank. It's like, no, but I've seen a lot of movies, but sometimes yeah. <laughs> they they find you at the right time in your life. So I'm really glad that this one did uh, looking at it. Um, I remember when it came out, r- critics were raving about it, but yeah, it wasn't around at least where I lived at the time on theater or on theater screens at least. But when I was just looking it up, I saw that, I think it was probably American movies, but they did it was the San Francisco Chronicle did like a poll of the best reviewed movies of the year. And this one was right behind almost famous. So it was like, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, that was another really good year. We had wonder boys. We had extraordinary films, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, 99 is an all timer. This was shot there. This kind of feels more like a 99 film anyway, but yeah, yeah. 2000, it was like the leftovers from that uh, era. Yeah. Wow. So I didn't great film. That, that's,
1: yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. Uh, it is, it is, a, it is a great film and I, you know, highly, highly recommend, um, yes. checking it out. It, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's
0: very worth, really,
1: it. <laughs> really worth it and really rewatchable and just full of beautiful performances. And it's really, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think it's probably, um, kind of an old fashioned movie in a lot of, of ways. And I, lo- I like that about it. I mean,
0: Yeah. Yeah. At the screening series that I ran um, was in Scottsdale and there were tons of nursing homes nearby. So that was their Sunday activity. And so I was trying to purposely choose movies that like they wouldn't have heard of, but maybe felt a little bit old fashioned. And I think the top two as far as audience reaction was this one and The Station Agent. And you can see why. uh, Yeah. Both very old fashioned.
1: Do you remember what is this set in 50, 1956? Is that the year it's set?
0: Yes. I think it I think is. So. And that
1: is that, is that the same year that Mac is set? It's, I didn't, oh my I goodness. Just I, I think I can,
0: you're right. Let me see. I know. I think I listed that. Let me check.
1: I can't remember what year, what year it says at the beginning of Mac, but um, it's definitely, I think it's 54 right or
0: 56. There. Yeah. I didn't write that down, but yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it,
1: it's uh, it's interesting to think about that. Anyway, and, and household um, saints and, and you know, I, I think one other. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is that also fifty six. That's crazy. That that's right We're around just around that movie, there. That movie yeah. moves through time a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's fifty six, uh, but we are looking at around yeah. that time. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. That's crazy. That's really funny. It but... Definitely,
1: it definitely passes through. Yeah, definitely definitely passes through 56 at least uh, household saints but yeah yeah you know, i think one thing i was thinking as we were talking about that is that um you know the 90s was a time when movies set in the 50s looked good and looked yes. right and now i feel like when movies are set in that era it's so kind of i don't know digitally yeah it's too or shiny an or too, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's just a
1: different, it's a different thing. There's such great period details and, you know, they didn't probably have to do much um, on these small scale movies to make the neighborhoods still look like they were the fifties, but it really looks right. And it just feels right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, that's, that's another kind of lovely thing about, about these movies.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Well, obviously that's all the time that we had for today but I know you did make quite a list. So are there any <laughs> others you would like to recommend that people should check out if they're interested in seeing more movies like oh, this, man. underrated Italian American fare?
1: Um, I'm sure, I'm sure I could come up with a, a million. I'm going to regret not saying, I, I mentioned a couple, you know, the, the others that I wanted to talk about
0: today, full of life, today. Yeah.
1: Full of life um, which is a, you know, um, fifties movie with, uh, uh, Judy Holiday, and um, that's I think it's still on the Criterion channel might have gotten it, it is Hold, uh, is it still up okay yeah that's that's a you know I love that book I love John Fonte as a writer He's one of my favorites um, the movie is you know very very lovely and it's not like a an amazing knock you on your ass kind of movie but it's really l- kind of low key just light character driven thing. And, um, I really like that one. Um, another, you know, Fonte, um, I adaptation that I, I kind of like is wait until spring bandini, which is also
0: mm-hmm.
1: out of print and hard to see. I love that book a lot. Um, his father was a bricklayer. It's kind of that, that story. It's very, serious. very, very, yeah. and, um, the movie is with Joe, Joe Mantegna, um, plays the dad and it's, um, came out in there early 8 like 84 somewhere around there oh. produced by Francis, Francis Ford Coppola cool. out of print not that hard to see though cuz you can see it a lot. I think I you know I think I rewatched it fairly recently on YouTube it doesn't look good but you can see it and it's not again not a great movie um not nearly as great certainly as the source material but a really interesting movie and and better than its reputation I think and then okay. give us this day as give us this day is the other movie I mentioned that I had wanted to
0: yes, include. That's right. Demetrius, um, right?
1: Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was, uh, you know, I think he was, it takes place in New York, but I think he was maybe blacklisted or okay. kind of run away to yeah. England and uh, shot it in England. Um, but Studio. it's a it really, um, I, I really like it. It's based on another great novel, Christ in concrete. Um, And that's a better title. Um,
0: It is,
1: yeah. It's a good, it's a really, really good, um, pretty dark kind of social, socially conscious, you know, immigrant, working class immigrant, noir-ish thing um, Mm -hmm. that I really like. And you can see that on YouTube and it looks pretty good.
0: Sounds good. Well, I hope everybody listening has been like, you know, taking notes and they will have to track these down because you just rattled off so many good ones. So I'm very excited to do that as well. Bill, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It was a joy to talk as always with you about movies and life and books. And basically we run the gamut, which I love. So I really want to thank you for letting me monopolize your afternoon today.
1: No, totally. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's wonderful, uh, wonderful talking to you and, and this was so much fun. And I hope we can, do it again soon
0: absolutely it sounds good you take care thanks ken this is jen johans at filmintuition.com and film intuition on social media and Letterboxed. and this is watch with jen